We're excited today. Uh, each one of those people, if they filled out a, a testimony, and, and the people that will be baptized later today also filled out a testimony, sometimes uh, I, I'm jealous for you. I wish you could read all those and hear all those stories to, to hear about God's work in people's lives in different ways, bringing them to a knowledge of their Savior. Uh, it, it is a, this is like the cherry on top of the ice cream as a pastor. Like these are the good days. I wish you could uh, embrace those and, and be with those in, uh, when I get the emails and I get the, the study. That's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about what God has done in your lives, what he's currently at work doing even today. And we're excited about what God, we believe God is leading us to as a faith family together. Uh, but, but before we talk about vision and before we talk about what we want to do and what we think God is calling us to, I think it, it's just appropriate for us to once again to pause and to recalibrate our hearts. Why do we exist? Why are we here? What, w- w- before we ask where we're going, let's ask who we are. And, and for that, I want to go back 3,500 years I want to go back to the book of Exodus, and, and if you have a Bible, I hope you do, uh, we're going to be in Exodus, mostly chapter 33 this morning. Before we talk about vision and where we think God is leading us, I want to go back, back to a time where God's people were at a kind of a crossroads moment. They, they had some choices to make. They, they had some things on the horizon that were exciting and empowering and everything they dreamed about. Uh, but in this moment, something has happened and, and they've got a choice to make. And in some ways, I think that's kind of where we're at. We have a choice to make. Just by way of, of setting it up, let me uh, just uh, set the context. Exodus. God's people have, God has come to Abraham uh, hundreds of years before and said, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And, and as the story progresses, progresses the, the, the nation multiplies, and then they're enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. And through God's mighty power and hand, he delivers his people. It's unmistakable the way that he delivers them. He delivers them uh, using plagues. He takes them out of slavery. He, he brings them across the Red Sea. And as they cross the Red Sea, and now they're in a territory that they've never been before, they, 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 they don't live here. They don't know where food's coming from. They don't know where water's coming from. Uh, they, they see enemies on the horizon. Uh, there's wild animals. That They're a little bit nervous. And so God calls Moses to meet with him That's an amazing thing, but to to meet with him on on Mount Sinai. And in his grace and mercy, God delivers to Moses what we know as the law, just God's instructions for God's people. And for 40 days, Moses is meeting with God on Mount Sinai. And during that time, in the midst of question marks and and wondering where their next meal is going to come from, (coughs) uh, the people start to freak out. Like, like they, they have very, very short memories. They literally just crossed the Red Sea and watched all of Pharaoh's army get destroyed. <laughs> They've seen the mighty work of God just like a month and a half ago. But, but in the midst of this, they get nervous. There's, there's enemies. There's, there's no food. There's no water. And so they're desperately seeking something they can cling on to, something they can find security and hope and safety to. And so they come up with an idea. They say, this, this guy Moses, we're not sure where he went. Aaron, can, can you make for us a God that we can follow? 
He's like, give me your gold earrings. And, and so they take off their earrings and, and they get all this gold. He melts it down and he fashions this crude uh, little golden calf. Like, it's a golden calf. Like, not a golden eagle or lion. Like, it's a golden calf. And when they see the golden calf, they're like, yes, that is awesome. It's a golden calf. And then they say something even more ridiculous. They say, Aaron gets it, he says, these, I don't know if there was more than one golden calf, but he says, these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. But they were so desperate to believe and cling in onto something. And then, then it gets worse in chapter 32. Verse 4, and he received the gold from their hand, fashioned it with a graving tool, and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, of O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, this golden calf. He has an altar. That's where you worship. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, when, you're, when you see that word Lord, and it's all caps, it's the divine name of the holy God of the universe. Do you see what they're doing? They've made an idol, and now he says, we're, we're, we're going we're to ask God to bless it. God, God we, we made this idol. He, he brought us up out of, out of Egypt, and, and so we're going to have a, a celebration. We're going we're gonna to celebrate all that this idol has done for us, and God, would you bless that? Sounds ridiculous, except we do it every day day. That's, that's what idols are, right? Clinging to something that is not God, is not worthy of our attention and pursuit, and saying, these are the gods that brought us out of the inner city to the suburbs. Money. These are the gods that gave us a nice house. This, this job is the God. God, would you bless it? Like, everything we want, uh, we're, we're going to just bow down and worship this idol, and we're going to ask God, would you, would you bless it? Obviously, God's not happy with this. He's, well, furious. He's, he's, ready, to, he's ready to take action. And, and Moses, who has just met with God for 40 days, mercifully receiving and communing with God. He gets on his face and he begins to plead with God, please don't destroy these people. Yes, they deserve it, but please don't destroy them. He pleads with them. He pleads with them. He pleads with them. God begins to pull back a little bit. Then in chapter 33, it says, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he says, I'm going to fulfill my promise. You're going to go. To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now that, that sounds pretty good. That's what they've been longing for. That's what they've been telling their generation after generation for. A day is going to come where we're going to go into the promised land. It's going to be amazing. 
And, and kind of a, as a symbol of that, it's going to be flowing with milk and honey. It's just this picture of a, a perfect place, nice lawns, nice pools, nice food, nice security. And God even says, I'm going to send an angel with you, and I'm going to drive out all the other enemies. So you're going to be safe, secure, and you're going to get everything you ever wanted. That sounds pretty cool, except for there's a catch. There's a catch. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. Now, I imagine there, there are people here, and to be honest, I'd be tempted as well. If God was to come and say, hey, everything you ever wanted, you, you want a nice house? You want more vacation days? You want a promotion? You want a spouse? You want uh, more money in your bank account? Whatever you want. I'll give you whatever you want. You're going to be safe, secure, and happy. I'm just not going to be there with you. I imagine there's churches and there's people here that will be like, I'll take that deal. I'll take that deal. Some of you hope that's what heaven's like. No hell, just all the good stuff. Who cares if God's there? Well, thankfully, the people saw this for what it was. Verse 4, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They mourned. Something struck their hearts, even though they had bowed down and worshipped a calf. All of a sudden, when they heard the living God of the universe said, I'll give you everything you ever want, I'm just not going to be with you. They saw that as terrible terrible news. And so God, so Moses pleads again. Moses begs God. Moses, Moses intercedes. And, and in verse 13, it says, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you <coughs> in order to find favor in your sight. He's, he's desperate. I, I, I just want to know you, God. I don't care about anything else. I just want to know you. Verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, with us, do not bring us up from here. Now, this is an amazing statement. They're in the desert. There's enemies. There's no food. There's no water. But they say, look, if we die out here, it's better to die with you out here than to go and get everything we ever wanted and to be apart from you. So that, that's the recalibration we have to have. Whatever we are doing in our individual lives, whatever we're doing in our families, whatever we're doing as a church, we have to first come before God and say, if you're not going there, God, if you're not leading us there, we, we don't want to go. We, we don't want to be there. We, we'd rather die than be apart from your presence. That's the recalibration. And, and God says, all right, in his mercy In his grace, he relents, says, I'll I'll go with you. And this emboldens Moses. It emboldens him so much that he makes the most audacious request the world has ever seen. Look, drop down to verse 18. Moses said, please. I imagine he's trembling a little bit because he knows this request is crazy. Please. Show me your glory. 
He doesn't know what he asks. This, this nothing speck of dust in a cosmic universe has asked the one who stands above it all, show me your glory. And God is merciful to him. He says, I can't do that. I can show you a glimpse, though. You can have a glimpse. And when he gets a glimpse of the glory of God, if, if you have time, read the story later on. Uh, it, his, his life has changed. His face has changed. His face is glowing. He's absolutely transformed just by a glimpse of the glory of God. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And maybe because we say it a lot, that, that, that doesn't feel like the weight that it should feel. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. Because when you get to the New Testament and you read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4, Paul is talking about Exodus 33 and 34, but he says something amazing. He says, look, if the glory that was shown to Moses, which was just the revealing of the law, changed everything, how much more that he who dwelled in unapproachable light stepped out of glory, put on flesh, lived a life you and I could never live, paid a price on the cross you and I could never pay, and then rose by the power of God, sent his spirit into our lives. How much more glory is that? So much more. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is not from us, but from God. So if you are a follower of Christ, you don't know how much glory is residing in your life, how much power is available to you in your life. Because if you did, everything would be changed. We exist for the glory of God and the joy of all people. The glory of God. So what, what does that look like for us? Every church, we, we believe that it's going to take the whole church to reach the whole city. We believe there are amazing churches in this city. And we believe that there needs to be about a thousand more for us to reach this city. And so we are committed for the glory of God and the joy of, our people, of all people, ourselves included, to make his glory known. And the way we've come around that is to say, we, if you were to leave here and people ask you, hey, what's Redemption Parker about? My hope, my prayer is that you would just say something very simple like, Redemption Parker is, about, is, is radically about proclaiming the power of the gospel to change everything. We are a gospel-centered church, that the gospel impacts, changes, shapes, renews everything. And so there, there's a few things that we say. We, we believe in gospel-centered worship. So, so what that means is when we gather in each other's homes and we gather here, it's ultimately about God and not about us. Do we get a lot out of it? Absolutely. But, but because it's not about us, it's not about our preferences. It's not about what we hope is sung this week. It's not about how loud or how quiet it is. It is about exalting the one who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. Because it's gospel-centered worship, we remind ourselves that we're not that awesome, but he is. And we want to continue to come back to that. You're not that awesome, but he is. And he has taken up residence in your life. So we have gospel-centered worship. When we gather together, 
we rehearse the gospel. We sing songs that echo the gospel. We, we go through a liturgy that echoes the gospel. We gather before the throne in a call to worship. We confess our sins. We, we get the assurance of pardon. We, we preach the word through the gospel-centered lens. <coughs> Excuse me. And we are sent out with the power of the gospel. We also believe in gospel-centered discipleship. This just means that we believe that the gospel is the power to transform us into the image of Christ increasingly over time. So it's not a program. It's not a book to read, although there are good books out there. It's not a checklist to see who's mature and who's not. We know this. Nobody in here is perfect. Nobody in here is close to perfect. Everyone in here has sinned in thought, word, and deed. And so we, we come to the gospel and we say, we confess our sin. We, we need to grow. We need forgiveness. So we say, it's okay to not be okay. We, we want you to know that it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you right where you're at. So we don't judge one another. We encourage one another. We remind one another of what's true about Christ. We, we set people to Christ once again. When we sin and we stumble, we, we lovingly come alongside one another and say, here's what's true and here's what's right. It's okay to not be okay. So we want to develop a culture, a gospel culture, that not only says that from a stage, but, 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 but when we're talking to each other and, and something happens, I hope that you all develop what I'll call a gospel flinch. You know, if someone says something crazy to you, like the, what, what, what you respond with is the gospel. You know what? God's, God's good. God, God, God could shape us. When, when someone's gone through a crazy time, when someone has sinned greatly, I hope your, your, your response is not judgment, not condemnation, but the gospel. So we want to have a gospel culture, gospel discipleship. That leads to gospel community. We believe that uh, we, we want to gather in each other's homes. We want to gather in each other's lives. We believe that you have gifts that only God has given you uh, for the building up of the body. And so we think the best place to do that is in our gospel communities, life on life. And that doesn't mean they're all awesome and amazing. doesn't mean that when you go next time, that guy's not going to go off on a 45-minute story about his broken ankle in high school. You're going to be frustrated. But because we want to be a gospel community with a gospel culture, we give them grace and we help them understand what our time is together. But, but there's just time together is what we believe God will use to grow us together. The Word of God, the people of God, the Spirit of God through a gospel-centered lens. And so we are going to unapologetically say almost every week, if, if you are in some way part of this faith family, even if you're not a member, we want you to be part of a gospel community. We just think that's where you're going to grow. We think that's the context for you to get accountability, belonging, and care. Matthew already said those things, accountability, belonging, and care, if you don't already have them in place, it's too late. And the moment you need accountability, and you don't have a group of people, I mean, wives, how much would you like to know if you're going through a hard time in your marriage that there's six other men in your gospel community that will come and, in a gospel way, confront your husband? I mean, this is how life is, is meant to be worked out in the body of Christ. So we need accountability. We need a place to belong. We need to say, those are the people I do life with. We, we, we all need, at times, care. 
Like, like when you're in the hospital, it's so much more powerful when your gospel community shows up in the hospital and they know you than if, if I don't know you and I'm just showing up. So we can counsel each other. We can use the gifts God's given together. And then finally, we want to have gospel-centered multiplication. <coughs> um, this, this one might be hard for some people. If you read the New Testament, the reason we have the New Testament is because people filled with the Spirit of God understood what I'll call gospel goodbyes. They understood that they were on mission. So when Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13 are in Antioch, and they're growing up, and they're teaching the church, and that church is just like a super house of church. It's a mega church, and all of a sudden, the Spirit says, send Paul and Barnabas out. You think that was painful for that church? Absolutely that was painful. You think that was hard when, when Paul would go to Philippi and for four years just pour his life into him and then go to Ephesus? That was painful. We want to have gospel goodbyes, whether it's our gospel communities that we get to know each other deeply and lovingly, but for the sake of the mission and the gospel expands, we want to multiply. We want you to have hard goodbyes. We, we want to have hard goodbyes here. We, we want to invest in, in churches that plant churches. So we're part of the Acts 29 network, and that, that's just a network of church planting churches. We exist to plant gospel-centered churches that plant gospel-centered churches and partner with those that do. So you, as, as those of you that respond and worship and give, do you know that you are part of planting 15 churches in the western United States right now? That's what some of your money goes to. 15 different churches that within the last couple of years that are being planted across the western U.S. Not only that, you are a part of planting churches. Uh, we have specifically targeted and partnered with a church plant in Trieste, Italy. I'll show you where that is if you don't know where that is. So in the little top right corner here of Italy on the border of Slovenia near Austria, there is a church plant there. Uh, probably less than one half a percent of the people there know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And many of you know that for a while we've been supporting the Edwards family. The Edwards, Graham and Sarah, Enzo and Sydney, they're from Australia. So this church, in, this church plant in Parker, Colorado has now supported them. And, and praise God because your giving has started to increase. We've got a ways to go, uh, but we've been to, able to increase our giving to them and, and to really begin to come alongside of them. But not only that, I want to just tell you right now, uh, there, there are two other families there that, that we just said, man, we got to support the whole church plan. We need to support all of them. And so we're supporting the Dorigos, Andrea, McKenzie, and uh, eh, it's like, a, it's a difference. It's, it's Italian. Um, <laughs> I know, I think I have it over here. Yeah. Uh, Adrian, that's not Italian. Uh, maybe it is. <laughs> Uh, Andrea's Italian, uh, McKinsey's uh, from the U.S., and uh, about 10 years ago, God rescued them, and, and just, just they, they began to grow and, and feel God's call to, to serve their city and, and plant a church, and so Andrea kind of leads the church plant there. Uh, not only that, there's one more family that we're now able to come alongside and generously support, uh, the Carmichael's. So we've got, uh, who do we have? We have 
This, those of you that know missions history think this is funny, but we have Amy Carmichael. Um, the other of you need to read some books. Gary Carmichael, Lydia, and Margot. And so just this month, we started supporting them as well. Uh, and so we, they, they, they love this church. Uh, they, they all are Acts 29, and they all happen to be pioneers in Europe too. That's what I work for uh, during the week. Uh, so I help coach them. I help uh, help them unleash the church plants in Italy there. So they're, they're encouraging. But, but in two weeks, we're going to send uh, the Dugas family, or not the family, just Brad and Sandy, they're going to go to Trieste. And they're just going to get some eyes on the ground, and they're going to spend some time. I said, hey, bless those missionaries. Like, the church wants to pay for whatever their nicest restaurant is. Like, take them out. Just... Just give them a break and, and spend some time, but also see how we can do a better job of coming alongside them, how we can be praying for them, how we can be sending teams in the summer as they do their, their sports and English outreaches. So pray for Brad and Sandy in that. And then finally, as with all things, we want to hold with an open hand and we want to say to God, God, if you're not going there, we don't want to go. But if you are going there, Lord, and you're going with us, Lord, send us out. And so many of you know but, uh, that, that when we brought Matthew and Lauren on board, it's for the purposes of eventually sending them out. And so one year from today, Lord willing, we believe the Lord is directing and guiding, and, and again, it could change along the way, but with an open hand, we want to say, Lord, are, are you leading us to do our first church plant in Castle Rock? And so we're praying about that. We want to invite you to that. We want to send out our best, our most gifted spiritually uh, so that we can launch them well. We want to send them with a core team. Matthew and Lauren are going to move there and begin to live among the people and pray there. I know many of you come up already from Castle Rock, and we would invite you to see what your role in that could be. We, we want to uh, give generously to them. The, the gospel is free, but it's often very expensive to get it out there. And so we want to send them with a chunk of change and, and some monthly support as they begin to plant a church. We're a year, into, year and a half into our church plant, and we want to do this. And some people say, you're crazy, and maybe we are. You're not ready, and maybe we aren't. But a mentor of mine once said, he, he said someone came up to him, and he was dating a girl in the church, and they said, hey, when are you guys going to get married? He's like, I'm in Bible college. I can't get married. I can't do that now. I don't have enough money. And the guy said, uh, you're never going to have enough money to get married or to have kids, so you might as well just do it. <laughs> and if we want a part of our DNA to, to reflect what, what we believe we're called to do, to be a church that plants churches that plants churches, even from the beginning, even though we don't know everything, we don't have enough finances. Matthew gets paid less than, than he would if he just worked at McDonald's, maybe 10 hours a week. He gets paid less than that. But we got to give generously. We gotta, I don't get paid, by the way, in case you're wondering, well, what do you get paid? I don't get paid. Uh, but the scripture says that it is right and good for the people of God to support the, the work of God. So we in, in, invite you to invest in the kingdom through generous giving. And we want to send them out on that. Um, I think that's all I have for you. <laughs> I, I forget how. Oh, no, I don't. I, I have a close. I got to close with an application. So what does this mean for you? It, it, it means that uh, we're, we, we want to invite everybody. If you're a part of this faith family, we want to invite 
you to use your hands, your hearts, and your knees. Your hands just mean there, there, there's work to do. And so, uh, first and foremost, don't, don't wait around saying, well, my particular spiritual gift is this, so I'll wait for that to come up. See a need and meet a need. <laughs> That's the first criteria. Whatever the needs are, we'd invite you to jump in. And then if you have an opportunity to use your spiritual gifts, praise God, we need that as well. So use your hands, your hearts, your hearts. Uh, we're, we're, we want you to be invested in this place. We want you to pray for the work of this place. We want you to enter into a season of prayer. So I'm, I'm going to roll out just something that we're calling First Fridays Fasting. We're, we're, we're the first Friday of the next 12 months. We're going to set aside to, as a faith family in, in different ways to fast and pray for the church plant that we want to launch out and for ourselves as well. We'll send out emails. We'll send out the Facebook. But we're inviting you to fast and pray, to, to beg the Lord to go with us in that place. So it might be uh, you're fasting from social media that day. It might be from breakfast or lunch or dinner or 24 hours. Whatever the Lord calls you to do, we want to invite you to beg the Lord to move in this place and to move on behalf of the Bowermans as they move and, and plant a church. So we, are, we, we need your hearts I already said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Jesus invites us to put our hearts in the things that really matter. And then finally, we need your need. Right, that is need. That's prayer. Hearts. Yeah, hearts is your money. Knees is your prayer. Hands are your thing. Okay, you get it? I don't really have it real tight today, but because uh, <laughs> I'm excited. We're going to do some baptisms now. Let me um, first pray for us. Let us come to the communion table, um, and then we're we're going to do a little bit different. We're going to invite the people that are getting baptized up, up front. We're going to hear two, three minutes of them share their story. Uh, then we'll sing two songs, give the benediction, and then we'll all go out these back doors to the horse trough, and we'll baptize six people. Amen? All right, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this day. What a, uh, what a testimony of your grace to us that we get to gather together to proclaim the gospel, the mystery, the glory of it. Give us uh, give us even more than you gave Moses, more than a glimpse, but let us see and live for your glory that is living in us as treasure that is in jars of clay. Lord, help our, our church to go with you wherever you lead us and to know that that is the best place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.